Today's reading is from Mark eleven twenty three through twenty five. Here begins the reading. Truly I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also give you your trespasses. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> At the end of the 17th century, the beginning of the 18th century, a religious fervor swept through Western Europe with evangelists like John Wesley leading the way. That fervor soon spread to the American colonies and is what we now call the Great Awakening. It, it revitalized religion. Famous preachers like Jonathan Edwards preached sermons with titles like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. These preachers implored their listeners to repent, to respect God's power, to receive new life in Jesus Christ, and to reject worldly ways. They warned about the consequences of living sinful lives. Listeners were told to be faithful so as to avoid the horrible punishments of an increasingly furious God. Now, one of these preachers who was well-known on both sides of the Atlantic was a man named George Whitfield. He was a small man, but he was a loud man. He was very charismatic, very passionate, and he felt compelled to preach the gospel. He would print handbills announcing when he was going to be speaking, and even in that time period was able to arrange for his sermons to be printed so people could read them by all accounts. He was what we might call today a celebrity preacher. He even garnered the respect of Benjamin Franklin, who was not known for his religious inclinations. Now, George Whitfield had his faults. He was certainly on the wrong side of slavery. Uh, he was also a bit of an antagonist, and he enjoyed antagonizing other ministers. He would not follow the proper channels when he arrived in another minister's parish. He was very performative and enthusiastic and maybe a little manipulative. He just liked to tug at the heartstrings of his listeners. He would end his sermons by saying, Come, poor, lost, undone sinner. Come just as you are to Christ. It is Whitfield we have to thank in a roundabout way for the hymn we are looking at today, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This hymn was written by a man named Robert Robinson. Robert was born in rural England. His father died when he was only about eight years old. His grandfather basically disowned him, disinherited him. And as he grew, his mother was unable to control him. And since she had limited resources, she sent him off to London 
to apprentice with a barber in a hairstyling shop. And he was smart, Robert was. He liked to read, but he was untamed and a little lost. And three years into this apprenticeship, just before he was done, he got kicked out of it. And he ended up in a gang where he lived sort of a debaucherous life. So when he was about 17, he and some of his buddies in this gang went out in London one night and they forced an old woman fortune teller. They got her drunk and they forced her to tell their fortunes for free. I won't go into what all happened in in that meeting, but it freaked Robert out. It just so happens that George Whitfield, the famous preacher, was preaching a revival in London that night. So he convinced his friends that they needed to go under the guise that they were going to heckle the preacher, that they were going to make fun of what was going on at this religious gathering. But Whitfield was on fire that night as he was preaching from Matthew chapter 3. Verse 7, Jesus says to the religious leaders, "'You brood of vipers!' Flee from the wrath to come. And Whitfield burst into tears. And as tears streamed down his face, he cried, Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come. The wrath to come. And Robert Robinson was convicted. He felt like that preacher was speaking directly to him. And for three years, he was haunted by those words that he had heard at that religious gathering. And at age 20, he gave his heart to Christ and immediately entered into the ministry. And when he was only 23 years old, he wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, as a Pentecost hymn for the congregation where he was serving. Our choir is about to sing an arrangement of that hymn. I want you to listen for some words. And if it's helpful, it's in our hymnal number 16, if that's helpful for you. I want you to listen for words like blessing, mercy, grace, praise, redeeming love, hope, fold of God. And just sort of be thinking about what these words mean to you. How do they speak to you? Let them speak to you as the choir sings now.
Will you pray with me? Loving God, thank you for words of scripture and songs of faith that draw us closer to you and to each other in the light of your son's love. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure it was the best idea to have me preach during a series on hymns um, because I just love hymns and if it were up to me we'd just gather around this piano down here and sing hymns the whole rest of the service which is what I did yesterday. I spent most of yesterday at my piano with old hymn books. Um, when I was growing up the hymn book was sort of equivalent to the Bible. They certainly held the same place as the Bible in the pew rack, and there were twice as many hymnals as there were Bibles. And throughout the church service, we used the hymn book much more frequently than we did the Bible. Plus, the hymnal meant that we got to sing, which I found much more enjoyable than reading scripture, though I probably would not have dared say that out loud back then, but it was the truth. And kind of still is. <laughs> I can still hear the pianist at that little Baptist church right now sitting at that little Story and Clark spinet, her left hand playing the low bass octaves on one beat and chords on the next, her right hand playing the melody, sometimes in octaves, sometimes in harmony, always with flourishes, and at the end of every stanza, that rolling arpeggio leading us to a breath, a moment of anticipation, until we got into that second verse all together. We sang those hymns, friends, we sang those hymns until the knotty pine ceilings in that little church would shake. And if you were extra holy, you didn't even need the hymn book. It was a righteous person who could sing all four verses of At the Cross without cracking the hymnal open. And I don't think anybody would want to be caught holding the hymnal open all the way to the end of the song because you had to prove that you at least, at least had the chorus memorized. So when you got to the last phrase of the final verse, it was always met with that sound of the hymn book closing and the thump of it going back in that pew rack. If it was in the hymn book, I believed it. Some of these hymns were instructional, like when we all get to heaven, taught me about the pearly gates and the streets of gold in the eternal city. Some of the hymns were kind of theatrical I dare any of you to tell me a better way to talk about the resurrection than up from the grave. Lo, in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. And then we all, up from the grave he arose, right? <laughs> it does not get any better than that. One of these hymns even helped ease my constant anxiety. I really was always worried about the end of the world because I was always hearing about the end of the world and when Jesus was coming back. And the hymn, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, assured me that Jesus would return on a bright and cloudless morning. So pretty days made me nervous. So you could find me looking for a cloud 
and once I spotted one, that was my loophole. He can't come back today. <laughs> I even liked the hymns that had dubious rhyming patterns like No Not One, which rhymes Jesus with diseases. <laughs> but mostly, these hymns provide us with inspiration, beautiful inspiration, about how to live out this life of faith that we have chosen to proclaim. Words like, mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened heart found liberty at Calvary. Words like, taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, will walk the heavenly way. These words are etched into my heart. And I give thanks to God that they are because God has used these hymns, these tunes, these words to see me through some pretty difficult days. And the hymn that we're looking at today, Come Thou Fount, it is a magnificent hymn of faith. And simply put, it's a prayer. It's a prayer of dependence on God's goodness. It's a prayer of gratitude for the persistent love of Jesus. And it is a prayer for the Holy Spirit to flood the hearts of the faithful with streams of mercy. Needless to say, prayer is an important part of our faith journey. And Jesus talked quite a bit about prayer by his example. Throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus praying alone, praying with other people, praying before he ate, praying before and after he did healing miracles. He prayed before he named the disciples all night long. Even at the moment of his death on the cross, Jesus prayed he prayed prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of blessing, prayers of discernment, prayers for strength, prayers of anguish, and prayers of forgiveness. But Jesus didn't just pray himself. He taught us how to pray. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't pray like a hypocrite, trying to get the attention of people. That's its own reward. So that tells us that we should be humble in our prayers. Jesus also gave us a model of how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer, the one we just said together a few minutes ago, the one we're blessed to say together every Sunday. It is a prayer that reveres God. It asks for God's will to be done, and it asks for the simple daily needs of our people to be met and it reminds us to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness. That tells us that we need to be unselfish in our prayers. In the scripture reading we heard this morning, Jesus said, have faith. I'm telling you, you could pray for a mountain to jump in the ocean, and if you didn't have one bit of doubt about it, it would. Now, I think this is one of those times where Jesus is exaggerating a bit to make his point, because if we're being humble and unselfish, we're probably not going to pray for a mountain to jump into the ocean. But 
What he's saying is clear. That we can be bold in our prayers. Then Jesus takes it one step further. When you're praying, he says, if you've got anything against anyone, forgive them so that you can be forgiven. And we're seeing a theme recur here. Jesus forgave in his own prayers. The prayer that he modeled for us has a request for forgiveness in the way that we forgive others. And today's scripture echoes the same thing, which tells us we must be forgiving in our prayers. And this season of Lent is a perfect time for us to remember that. Lent is a gift that we have, this season of of turning back, of repenting, if you will, back to spiritual practices that we may have let lapse. This time of examining ourselves, examining our lives and getting back on right paths. It's a gift. And part of that process is reconciliation, reconciling our God, ourselves to God and to one another, which means having the humility to say those three little words that are so hard to say. I was wrong. And three more words that are also hard to say. I forgive you. I want to be real clear about something. When we ask God for forgiveness, when we ask others for forgiveness, it is not about groveling. It is not about beating yourself up about what a horrible person you are. It is not about wallowing in shame. And when we forgive other people, it is not a free pass for them to harm us or abuse us. What forgiveness is, is about freedom. Forgiveness is freedom from bitterness and anger. Forgiveness is freedom from always having to be right. Forgiveness is freedom from insisting on winning, no matter the consequences it has on other people's lives or on your very soul. When our spiritual lives are grounded in meaningful and regular communication with God, that thing we call prayer. We build strength of character. We build deep faith to see us through times of trouble and we build an unshakable trust in the boundless and incomprehensible love of God. The good thing about prayers is they can be said or done in a variety of ways. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your head. You can say it by yourself. You can say it with other people. You can write them down. You can draw a picture. 
You can sit in silent meditation and just enjoy being in God's loving presence. And thanks be to God, friends, prayers can be sung. Sing a hymn. Sing a scripture. Make something up. We just need, we need it. We need dedicated time spent in prayer. Prayer helps us embrace the things that we can't understand, the mysteries of the faith. Prayer helps us to believe the unbelievable, to love the outcast and the stranger, to be Bible-taught and spirit-led, and to yearn for life everlasting in the presence and glory of the risen Christ. And come thou found of every blessing is a fantastic example of a prayer because it does express humility. Tune my heart to sing your grace. It shows selflessness. Here I raise to thee an altar. By thy help I'm come. It's bold. Teach me a melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. And it asks for God's forgiveness in a way that honors our humanity. I'm prone to wonder, God. I know it. I feel it. So here's my heart. Take it. Seal it. May our prayers change us. And may we, being so changed, be agents of God's blessing and mercy, of Christ's grace and redeeming, and of the Spirit's hope and action to a world in need. Will you pray with me? God, you're the source of all of our blessings. And we pray that on the instruments that are our hearts, you would play the songs of your most amazing grace. As your mercy never ends, so may our songs of praise never end. Teach us the songs of heaven, the songs the angels sing. And keep our feet planted firmly on you, the rock of our salvation. Make our lives an altar to you, seeking to please and honor you. We hope for the day when we will see you face to face. Give us a hunger to live in the way of your son, Jesus, who finds us when we are lost, who saves us when we are in peril, and who overcame death to give us hope. We crave connection with you, God. May we always be bound to you, not with chains of oppression, but with the ties of your loving kindness. Forgive us when we stray, as we often do, and fill us with Christ-like compassion when we are wronged. With hearts in hand, Lord, we give you our lives every bit. Bend them to your will. And prepare us to love and to serve now and forevermore. Amen.